was a delight to listen to everybody just visiting and <laughs> enjoying each other. What a great church family God's putting together. I'm enjoying just hearing you guys talking and watching. Let's open our songbooks to My Country Tis of Thee, number 698. 698 as we begin together today. 698, My Country Tis of Thee. <clears throat> Baptist Church. Yesterday was Veterans Day, and we have quite a few among us who have served our country. It was originally called Armistice Day. The forerunner of Veterans Day was proclaimed in 1919 to commemorate the termination of at 11 o'clock a.m. on November 11th, 1918, World War I. It was called the war to end all wars. Unfortunately, it didn't. But many gave their lives for the liberty and freedom that we enjoy. On the first anniversary of the truce, U.S. President Woodrow Wilson issued a proclamation eulogizing fallen soldiers and referring to November 11th as Armistice Day. In 1954, the name was changed to Veterans Day, honoring all those living and dead who served with the U.S. Armed Forces in wartime. I'd like to ask our veterans to stand, please. We thank you for your 
service for our country, making it possible for us to gather in this building. <laughs> As we begin in prayer today, I want to, of course, remember God's grace to us, allowing us to live here in a country where we can openly gather like this. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are, that you are good to us in so many ways, especially the eternal ways. Father, thank you that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have our sins forgiven, and we are given by you eternal life and the blessings that go along with that. Our country, the United States of America, has been blessed by you, and we know that based upon Bible principles was the formation of this nation. And we see that waning, and it grieves us. But Father God, I ask you would turn it around once again. Thank you for the men and women here that have been part of protecting the freedoms that we enjoy. This sweet land of liberty that we have just sung about. Father, I ask you that you would bless them, knowing that they still carry with them memories and scars of some sort from their service to our country. Father, I ask that you would help them, bless them, and grow them closer to you, and that you would also recognize, that they would also recognize your hand in their lives and our thankfulness for these individuals. Our ultimate thanks, Father God, goes to you. And I ask that as we begin this service together, you would guide and bless and that you would be the one who's honored and our Savior Jesus Christ magnified in this hour together. Thank you again, Heavenly Father. I do think of those who are still sick like Barb and others that are not with us today and I ask for your complete healing for them. Thank you for those who are better and are with us today and we do ask in every way that you would be the one who is central in this service together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, veterans, for serving our country. In a few minutes, you may be seated, you guys. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. At this time, let's go ahead and sing 699, America the Beautiful. And let's, um, <clears throat> I don't know why my songbook isn't opening. There it is. You feel up to it, Joshua? Okay. Let's just sing the first and last verses, okay, for the sake of time. Beyond the 
stand for our scripture reading. Open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and follow along as Tom reads verses 6 through 11. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Nice to be back. Good to have you. Good to have you. <laughs> but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as his purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to do abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now that he ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. Amen. You may be seated, and at this time, Katie will be singing, God Makes No Mistakes. Okay. 
Let's open our songbooks to 536, Joy in Serving Jesus. It was a joy to have Katie serving Jesus today, too. Anyway, let's sing Joy in Serving Jesus, 536. Every hour and every day There is joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus Joy that throbs within my heart Every moment, every hour As I draw upon His power There is joy, joy Joy that triumphs over pain Fills my soul with heaven's music Till I join the glad refrain There is joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus Joy that throbs within my heart Every moment, every hour as I draw upon His power, there is joy, joy, joy that never shall depart. There is joy in serving Jesus as I walk alone with God. Every hour as I draw up 
There is joy in serving Jesus, joy amid the darkest night. For I've learned the wondrous secret, and I'm walking in the light. There is joy, joy, joy in serving Jesus, joy that throbs within my heart. Every moment, every hour, as I draw upon His power, there is joy, joy, joy that never shall depart. There truly is joy in serving Jesus. The penman James in our Bibles, we're headed toward James chapter 1 again, started out by saying, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Let's go to James chapter 1, everyone. And we will open with a couple verses and then pray together. <clears throat> Verse 22. James 1, 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For... If any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Why own a mirror? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us your perfect, holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word that we can learn by it and apply it to our lives. I ask you, Heavenly Father, that each and every one of us in this room would not just look into your word and consider it casually but seriously, that you'd use it to change our hearts, our minds, our lives for your honor and glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have enjoyed this series in James, and James 1.22 is likely the best known and most quoted verse in this book of the Bible. Many of you are familiar with James 1.22 and a lot of people quote this verse that aren't even Christians. It's probably the most quoted verse in this book of the Bible. It has been quoted by both Christians and non-Christians. Non-Christian cultists for centuries as a proof text to support their theological bias. <clears throat> For example, I have had a brief debate with one of the highest authorities of the Jehovah's Witnesses here in our valley, and he quoted this verse, along with part of verses 20 and 26, which read, verse 20 says, For the wrath of 
man worketh not the righteousness of God. In verse 26, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. He quoted, This man's religion is vain if he does, if he's a, a hearer only and not a doer. Anyway, faith without works is dead is part of our debate. You see, their whole system is built upon works. It's built upon works. They must work to gain favor with their peers. They must work to satisfy the Watchtower Society and not be treated in a way that is degrading in a lot of ways. It could be financial. It could be just uh, character assassination or whatever. They, they have to work or they'll face some sort of uh, treatment from the Watchtower Society that would harm them. And they think that their works will gain them some special benefit from God. But when you ask them what benefit is there, they're not sure. Because back in 1935, the 144,000 have been selected by God, apparently, in their strange, twisted theology. And so they really don't know, but to gain some sort of favor with God, they must be those who work, work, work. That's why they'll do uncomfortable things and knocking on doors and all of that, handing out their literature And they don't like verses like Ephesians 2, verse 8, which says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, verse 9 says. Not of works. They don't like that. But the gift of God. And then, of course, Titus 3, verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. They don't like those kinds of verses. Now, James has written in such a way that I think you all understand or you hopefully will soon understand that coupled with your faith, if you really love God and if you are his child, you will want to do for him. (laughs) I did this, I don't know, I should have maybe drawn an illustration and held it up. In on the opening page of James in my Bible years ago, I wrote a couple quotes, okay? One is, it is faith alone that saves, but faith that saves is never alone. And I don't have the, the source for that. Does anyone know the source for that quote? I mean, did Abraham Lincoln say it? I don't know. I don't think it was Abraham Lincoln. Don't get me wrong. I don't have the source for that. But that's true. It, it is faith alone that saves. But faith that saves is never alone. There's always some change in that person's life. If you bump into someone that says, I'm a Christian and I have been saved by God's grace, and you ask them the question, what changes have taken place since that day? And they say, oh, none. I've always been a good person. Well, there's a question mark then because there should be a change that takes place. It's never alone. Then I also did this in the upper left-hand corner of my Bible. I drew a a circle with, I don't know, that slash mark through it. 
Faith plus works equals salvation. That is not an equation, by the way. That is not a true equation. Faith equals salvation plus works. That's the equation. Did you get that? Okay. That is what we're looking at here in verse 22. Now, there's another side to this. James 1 verse 22. Others have used James 1 22 as a proof text to promote helping the poor and the starving in third world countries. They've used it for a proof text toward that end. Well, they're taking it out of context to do that. Some use James 1 22 to teach the false doctrines of sacramental grace where you have to keep sacraments to be saved, or keeping the Mosaic law and the Sabbath worship, like our Seventh-day Adventist friends do. Still others will use this verse as a club to beat you over the head with, to try to beat congregants into submission. There, There are those out there too, where you have to be baptized, or you have to be involved in a scheduled program on schedule every week, James 1.22, right? <sighs> to certain standards of conduct. People have used this verse toward certain standards of conduct and dress and all kinds of standards that are set by a dictatorial clergy. That is not within the context of James 1. That's not what... Those folks are trying to use a verse out of context to prove a point or to force people into submission somehow. Then, there seems to be another element, and the one I believe James is addressing is those who hear the preaching and or teaching of God's word and go away unaffected saying, that was nice. They must think that hearing a good sermon or maybe going to a Bible study that makes them grow and get blessings and Yet the word of God has no sink, it doesn't sink in and make a change in their lives to the point that they change their behavior based on what they've heard. They, <clears throat> that is what James is addressing here. I remember years and years ago when I was a boy, my dad saying, when I go to church, I want to go home feeling good. Well, that's not always the way the word of God works, is it? No, it's not. And James is addressing that. They go about life no differently on Monday than they did on Saturday. James, I believe, is addressing in our passage what has become known as Sunday Christians. We have all, probably, met both ends of this spectrum. Let's bring this thing a little closer to home even among Baptistic Christians. Number one, those who work, 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 and do, 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 where the word of God has had little effect on their minds and hearts. They tend to be hard to be around because of their shallow Christianity and their demanding nature and attitudes. Or, number two, then there are those who here and there have heard the truth of the Bible and some can even quote verses and commentaries and 
authorities, but go about the way they live as if it were meaningless. They may even enjoy academic debate about points of theology, but that's all the further it goes. They also are shallow Christians. Many in their town or community would not even know that they believe in Christ. That's a problem. James is addressing that kind of attitude. There's an old saying, if what you believe does not affect the way you behave, then it doesn't matter what you believe. It does matter what you believe. But you get the point of the quote, don't you? I hope you understand that. I used to say that God is more interested in who we are and how much we love him and live in purity with Jesus as the central focus than what activities and actions we do in his name. I believe that he is more interested in who we be than what we do. Based on verses like, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Jesus quoted that as the first and greatest commandment, didn't he? Here's another verse. Behold, wrote Samuel in 1 Samuel 15, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's a matter of the heart. Sacrifice is a matter of the doing. To obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. In Psalm 46, verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. God wants us, first and foremost, to know him and love him. And out of that will stem serving him. There's joy in serving Jesus. There really is. But James tells us that we better not neglect doing what the Bible says. Along with our inner love for him, there should also be an outward active service for him. There's, a, there's more to do in a body of believers in a church like this than any, any of us can do. And James illustrates it for us in verses 23, 24, and 25. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Remember back in verse 17, he used the orbit of the earth and the moving of the shadows cast by the sunlight to illustrate God's unchangeableness. Do you remember that from a couple weeks ago? And then he used the illustration of a garden overgrown with weeds to teach that our hearts must be purged from sin and confessed and prepared to receive the word of God in verses 19, 20, and 21. We talked about that last week. Now he uses another illustration, and that is a mirror. Verse 23, For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Okay? The concept of this glass was back then, not exactly like our modern webcams, you know, or... Smartphones. Has anyone ever gone to their laptop or their front cam and used it like a mirror? You can use raise your hand. <laughs> okay, how about your phone? Have you used your front cam? Like, yeah, I have, I know. 
Some of you have too. <clears throat> That's okay. It, and so this, though similar, it, the idea is the same. I think you'll understand that. <laughs> we, we all probably went to the mirror this morning, didn't we? I would assume so. Mirrors that most of us are used to are really a sheet of glass with film of uh, copper on the back side. And it, it is a fairly accurate representation of the reverse of our face, you know, <laughs> when we look at it. Anyway, back 2,000 years ago, a glass was usually made of brass. And it was carefully shaped and flattened and polished to a brilliance that a person's reflection was fairly realistic. So why did, for example, back in Exodus, the Egyptian women own looking glasses or mirrors? They did in the days of Moses. Why did they give their mirrors to the Israelite ladies who would be camping out for 40 years in the wilderness. <laughs> I think I got that. <laughs> I've walked over to the mirror on the driver's door of the pickup and don't like what I see a lot of times after a day out in the woods or whatever. <clears throat> yeah, they were camping out in the wilderness of Ammon, Moab, and Edom for 40 years. Maybe these Egyptian ladies thought that these poor Israelite neighbors would need all the help they could get out there. Well, at any rate, God had a different plan for those. One of the reasons that the Israelite ladies were given mirrors was to be melted and fashioned into the brass laver as God instructed one of the six ornate furnishings for the tabernacle in the wilderness. God had a worshipful purpose in that brass and it wasn't the face that you see reflected the tabernacle that God commanded to be built in Exodus 38 verse 8 the women gave their brass mirrors as a free will offering to the Lord so that this special wash basin could be made for the washing and cleansing of the hands and feet of the priests who served in the tabernacle ministry and duties but James was, without question, talking about the reflective value, the reflective value of a mirror. Why own a mirror? Now, I've got two lovely ladies in our house right now. And sure enough, the mirrors were an important part of the stops this morning in our home. And me too. The idea is transparency, to see what you really look like, and all of that. So, number one, why own a mirror? For examination. That's simple enough. And James is addressing that. Examination. It shows us what we are like. It is the word of God that is likened to a mirror here, isn't it? As you read the context it's the word of God that's like a mirror. It shows us what we are really like. Looking into it examines our condition. Our first condition, our first one, was lost and dead. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 5 say it this way, And you, 
hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world. That was our original condition. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, I'm glad for that, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. I am so glad that our original, our first condition, can be changed. If you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, you're still in that first condition, and you need that change that takes place by trusting him alone for your salvation. But those of us who know our Bibles might be thinking, well, Pastor Matt, that's, that's true, but isn't James writing to believers? Yes, he was. James was writing to believers. Verse 2 tells us, My brethren counted all joy. Look quickly at uh, verse 16. It says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. And verse 19, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. He is writing to believers. He did write to believers. So how does this apply to believers? Well, when a Christian hears and reads the word of God, like a mirror, it reveals who we really are as well. And when a man looks into the mirror of the word and sees something like this, it ought to change him. Isaiah 2, verse 11. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon every one that is proud and lofty, and upon every one that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. Does that man put down his Bible? and go to work and act just as proud and boastful as before? The word of God ought to change that behavior. It ought to change us. <clears throat> or does he allow the, to be humbled by the word of God where it captures his heart and changes what manner of man he was? What does the mirror of the word of God show us when we read about our motives? What about our motives? <clears throat> In Matthew 6, this is just one example of many. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of men. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou dost thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou dost alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret, shall himself reward thee openly. In that same passage, it speaks of praying and the way we ought to pray. It is not something that is for show, to be seen or heard of man. I've heard people pray, Oh, Lord. You know, and it bothers me. 
It, is, it ought to change our lives, okay? And so when a man or a woman has been doing things or do, just doing to be seen of others for personal recognition, does he or she read a passage like this and beholdeth himself and goeth his ways and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was? Some do. Or does he or she allow it to penetrate and change the heart? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Just back a few pages in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And I know that it ought to be and should be familiar to you and me. Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God. Of course, we're talking about it shows us who we are as a looking glass. But verse 12 of Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is quick or living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word is so divine, it, it reveals your thoughts to you and to others. It, it is that kind of... The word of God is incredible. For God's blessing in my life and in your life, it must change me. It must change us. Which brings us to the second question. Why own a mirror? Number one, of course, for examination. Number two, for transformation. Because it should help us change what is wrong. It is through the word of God that we see the reflective reality of our sinful and lost first condition, but it also reveals to us the way to change that condition and transform it. Romans 10.17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Once any person believes with all their heart the gospel message, they are transformed eternally, and given heaven as their home, from dead to alive and from earthly to heavenly, the old man is challenged by the new man. Now we have a new nature that wars against the old. A new transformed nature exists that did not exist before. And once that glorious transformation has taken place, then the new believer is given the Holy Spirit to indwell him forever. So we have in 2 Corinthians 3.16 through 18, Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as the Spirit of the Lord I'm thankful that in the future that will be absolutely true for every believer. Not only shall we be like the Lord Jesus sometime in the future in his presence in heaven, even 1 John 3 verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. 
Not only is it in the future that we'll be transformed, but in this life that is also true. Right now, in November of 2023, we have the transforming Word of God and the Holy Spirit that help us change those areas of life that are in need of change. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, verses 1 through 3, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith <clears throat> so we've seen that the word of God like a mirror is for examination and for transformation and lastly for restoration because it's a resource for cleansing. A few months ago, after a hot day on the bulldozer over on the church property, <laughs> I went home and Juanetta showed me a pic of my face on her phone. I had a day's worth of diesel exhaust set on my face and dust on my face that stuck to the diesel exhaust. And... The first thing I did was go to the bathroom. And sure enough, I looked in the mirror, and it was just like her phone, only bigger. And I surely did not like what I saw. <laughs> I was dirty and grubby and hot and tired, so I didn't just walk away and sit in a chair and visit. I got cleaned up first. One reason to own a mirror is for restoration. The mirror helped me see what needed to be restored, and there was a lot to do. But that mirror was a resource for cleansing and restoration. Dear Christian, when you choose to go out into the world and get grubby and dirty with some sin, you've done wrong. You've sinned against God, and that has broken or damaged, but not removed your relationship with your Heavenly Father. And it needs to be taken care of. Here's what it says in Isaiah 59.1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. We need to go to the mirror of the word of God for examination, for transformation, and restoration. Of course, First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confessing our sins means to admit our guilt, to see it as God sees it, and to turn from it. When we're confronted by a mirror or the mirror of God's word, do we forget or do we seek restoration and cleansing? 
Here's, here's an interesting account in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, or the wayward son. And Jesus told this parable, though I believe there was a real family involved, because Jesus started out with a certain man. At any rate, he wrote this. This is the, the prodigal in a faraway land who had been eating food that had been, he had fed to hogs, which was an abomination to a Jew. And he arose and came to his father after that. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son, I'll add this, he was still grubby. He still needed to be cleaned up. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put, on, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. And this my son was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found and they began to be merry. God is with open arms like that father waiting for us to confess our sin. He is the one that's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and receive us again into those open arms. Why own a mirror? Of course, for examination and for transformation, but restoration is the goal. Yes, dear Christian, the word shows us our sin dirt and is a resource for cleansing. Look at verse 25 in our passage, James 1, 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's the word of God, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. God blesses those who turn to him. Let me read a couple verses from the writings of the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24 And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that the Lord of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. Verse 25 says, But he that doeth wrong shall receive the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. This passage is pretty simple and straightforward, is it not? I don't think that I should add much more comment to it. What about you? What do you examine in the mirror, the real, true mirror? What does God tell you about you? What does God tell me about me? Make it personal. Do you forget it? Do you shove it aside as unimportant? <clears throat> do you wish that the reflection was just for other people and not you? Or will you see yourself truthfully and let the word of God transform and restore you to your Father in heaven? Heavenly Father, I ask you that in this seemingly simple passage, 
that the Holy Spirit would do a work that we would not walk away unchanged but that you would bring about the changes in us that we would seek those changes that we would desire to bring honor and glory to you and realizing that we're not just hearers only but we must be doers of the word as well If we just hear, your, your word tells us that we deceive ourselves. Father, may we not be deceived by our own laziness, our own lack of care, but that we would allow your word through the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our lives. From this day forth, I don't know what decisions need to be made in the lives of others, but I know what you lay on my heart, and I ask you, Heavenly Father, that every one of us in this room would allow you to accomplish your will as we examine ourselves in the looking glass of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's, uh, let's open our songbooks to O oh, to be like thee. Number 450. O oh, to be like thee. Let's stand as we close. Number 450, O to be like thee. All three verses. O to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures Jesus thy perfect likeness to bear oh to be like oh to be like thee blessed redeemer pure as thou art come in thy sweetness Come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Verse 2. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering, sinner to find oh to be like thee oh to be like thee blessed redeemer pure as thou art come in thy sweetness come in thy fullness stamp thine own image deep on my heart verse 3 Oh, to be like thee, while I am pleading, pour out thy spirit, fill with thy love. Make me a temple, me for thy dwelling, fit me for life and heaven above. Oh, to be like thee, 
blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. Hope to see everyone this evening.